Good morning. This is a great looking crowd this morning. In the past 40 Sundays, I have been at a church 40 Sunday mornings. And I'll tell you what, I don't think, Pastor, that I have seen seriously a church this full uh, in, in 40 weeks. So God bless you. Give yourselves a hand. Praise God. Now, I need to know a couple of things before I get started. First of all, I do work with Lighthouse Ministries in Lakeland, Florida. How many know Lighthouse Ministries? You know where it's at, and thank you so much. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Going to have a little fun along the way, but before we do, I need you to understand something, okay? Uh, Let me ask it this way. Does anybody in the room know CPR? If you know CPR, raise your hand, okay? Good, good, okay. Uh, I, I tell you that because I have a heart condition. Okay, and so if for any reason, I took my medication, uh, so I'm pretty good, okay, Uh, but for for any reason, if I fall down, uh, you got somebody come up here and start the stuff, okay, and and Mr. Frack, you lead them in staying alive, okay, because that's the the rhythm we need to know right there, and and because of that, I, I, I take, you know, I actually, Pastor, two and a half years ago, I died in Butte, Montana. I'm not making this up. I died in Butte, Montana. You, you know about this. Um, and the worst part about it was it, it wasn't like the beep, 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 beep. It was like beep, that one, okay? And the worst part about it was the week before, I was at a conference with the guy who wrote the book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, okay? I don't know, have you heard of that book or seen that book or read? And this guy at the conference took about three hours, and he told us about his 90 minutes. And so I think he might have been embellishing a little bit, but I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. And his experience was basically this, okay? He goes to this big room like we're in today. He meets with family members that had gone on before. He gets to meet the disciples. He gets to meet Jesus. That's his story. The whole time he could hear this beautiful angelic choir singing in the background. Hallelujahs. And the whole time he's moving toward this bright light, he said it's the brightest light that he had ever seen, okay? That was his experience. He died. Bright lights, beautiful music, family members that he loved, okay? I died, Pastor, and it was completely different. It was dark. I heard Leonard Skinnerd playing. And I saw a picture of my mother-in-law, which is why I fought my way back twice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My mother-in-law saved my life. And so I appreciate that. I take a lot of medication today. Um, I, I, I actually, had, I was telling him in the first service, I had flown in from Seattle, Washington. I don't know if you've ever been out there for that conservative capital of America. Uh, and there I was, and I'd taken the red-eye flight, flew overnight, got home, and was absolutely exhausted because I didn't sleep on the overnight flight. Who would have thunk it, right? And so I went to bed and, and slept till about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, got up, spent time with the family. I, I I have, I have four beautiful kids. I love my kids, Chapman, Coleman, the other two. And, and so there I am. I wake up, and um, I spend some time with the family. And about 7 o'clock at night, my wife comes to me. She goes, you look horrible. I said, well, thank you. That's not something you want to hear from your wife. You look horrible, okay? She said, you just, you just look exhausted. I said, I am. She said, go back to bed and sleep from 7 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning. 12 hours, she said, is what you need to get your zirconium rhythm back on. Zirconium, zirconium rhythm, sorry. Zirconium, <laughs> that's her ring. But anyway, uh, <laughs> zirconium rhythm back on. And you'll be fine. So I went back to bed and slept again. Now, the problem was, folks, was that morning, I'm supposed to take medicine every morning at 9 o'clock. 
and every night at 9 o'clock, okay? Have to have it 12-hour intervals. Okay, I got, it took mine this morning. We were okay, okay? I took it just before the early service started, so I'm a half hour off, but I'm okay, all right? And so, but I, for the whole day, forgot to take my, I take 15 pills, people. 15. Three of them given to me by doctors. 12 given to me by people like you around the country said, if you'll take this, you'll get better, okay? I have a lady from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, she sends me uh, a shark cartilage. Have you ever heard of shark cartilage, okay? She, she buys them at the veterinary supply store, okay? They're the size of a Frisbee, okay? But they're 25 cents. At GNC, they're $2 a piece, 25 cents at the veterinary supply store. And you go, you're not really taking something from the veterinary supply store. Look, people, recently that's been really popular. Get over it, okay? So... I have two ladies from the essential oil companies. Now, where's my ladies in the room who are the essential oil uh, wearers? Okay, I've got a couple over there. Any on this side? Okay, very good. So, so we can make sure we don't offend anybody. What company are, are you with? What company do you use their product? Yeah, okay, we got both of them right over there, Young Living and doTERRA. Those are the two major companies, okay, right there. I have two ladies. I'm going to go over this with you because you've got to verify this for me. People think I'm making this up, okay? I have two ladies from the two companies who make me oil pills. You're familiar with this, okay? They take these ancient biblical, 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 biblical oils, okay? And they buy empty pill capsules, right? Stay with me right there. And they fill them with these ancient biblical oils. Uh, They put them in a baggie, send them to me through the mail, which I believe is a federal offense, okay? And I take them. I I don't question them. I don't know what's in them. I just take them. The only oil that I know is in there is I know that both ladies put in three drops of an oil called frankincense. How many have ever heard of frankincense? Okay. Right. We know from Christmas time. Exactly. Gold and and myrrh right there. And I know from my time in seminary, Pastor, that frankincense is an oil to prepare you for your burial. Okay which kind of bothers me that they're putting that in my pill. I I don't think they have a lot of hope for me, okay, right there. But I'm going to look really good, okay? So I asked my wife, I said, why are they putting a see you later oil in a get better pill? She said they're hedging their bets. I said, what? She said, it's kind of like a veterinarian who's also a taxidermist. Either way, you get your dog back. Take your time, people. The first service people got that. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to take my medication. That's dangerous when I don't take it at 9 in the morning and 9 at night. Now I'm on a danger zone. I woke up at 1230 at night. House is dark. All the kids are asleep. My wife's sound asleep laying there. She has that beautiful little snore. I'll never forget it. I've tried to. And she's laying there. And I woke up and went, (gasps) I haven't taken my medicine. So, Pastor, I got out of the bed quietly. Quietly. Why'd you get out of the bed quietly, Mike? Because that's the kind of husband that I am. I'm a good husband. I'm a kind husband, okay? I got out quietly. I tiptoed into the kitchen, which is right off of our bedroom. I didn't even turn on the kitchen light. Why? Because the light could wake her up. I didn't want to wake her up. I'm a good husband, okay? Wouldn't want to do that. I opened the refrigerator door to use the refrigerator light to take my pill. I didn't even get water from the sink because sometimes when we turn it on, it makes that sink noise. You know what I'm talking about? That didn't want to wake her up. I'm a good husband. That's the kind of husband that I am. 
began taking my pills with the light of the refrigerator with some juice out of the fridge. My wife has them in a bowl right next to the refrigerator, 15 pills right there. Uh, and I started taking my pills. You can't take 15 pills at once, okay? I, I've tried. I take mine in like three groups of seven. And so... <clears throat> Not a big math crowd up here on the north side, is it? Woo, go homeschool. All right. And so anyway, uh, <laughs> I start taking my pills. And in the taking my pills in the darkness, I look down. There are two pills on the floor. Uh, two pills have fallen on the floor. Now, you have to understand, we have young kids at our house. We believe if something falls on the floor, you have a short amount of time, a window in which to pick them up, and they are still considered clean. Are you with me? How many are with me? You know what I'm talking about. At our house, that's 45 minutes. And so I... I <laughs> I look down there, the pills, I grab them, I throw them in my mouth, I swallow them down, I slide back into bed nice and quiet, not waking up my wife, being very careful to not wake her up. Why? Because that's the kind of husband that I am. And I'm laying there trying to get to sleep, but instead of falling asleep, um, I, I, I can't, I, I, I can't. My body clock is off. Has your body clock ever been off? You know, and I can't, I can't get back. I tried counting sheep. You know, one sheep, two sheep. I got nothing. I, I, I'm a former pastor guy, missionary guy, uh, seminary training. I, I like to go to the Bible, okay? And so what I do is instead of counting sheep, I count books of the Bible, Pastor. I just think of them. I just go through all of them just like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Go through all 45, 50 of them. And, and just as, you know, only about 20% of the people got that right there. There is still work for you to do here, okay? Lots of work, lots of work. Keep, keep on going, brother. <laughs> I'm laying there trying to go to sleep, but instead of falling asleep, I started getting indigestion. Went quickly from indigestion to an upset stomach, upset stomach to pain. Now, when I reached a level of pain, I realized I should not suffer alone. Men, can I get an amen right there? I need to bring my wife into this. So I reach over to the love of my life. This is my childhood sweetheart. I, we, we have been married for 36 years consecutively, okay? You know, this is what I'm talking I, I And I, I, I lean over to her, and I shook her arm, and I said, baby, wake up. I'm not feeling well at all. To which my wife, the love of my life, turns to me and says, roll over and go to sleep. You'll feel fine in the morning, okay? Th that was not the level of care I expect after 36 years. Am I right? Am I right? Come on, with me now, right there. Right. And, and I started to get mad. I started to get mad. And, and, and then I said, no, anger's not good. Anger's not good. I said, what would Jesus do? And I thought he would send her to hell right now is what he would do. No, no, I said, I said, Jesus. <laughs> They're laughing, Pastor. It's okay. <laughs> Jesus would give her a second chance, right? Amen. Uh-huh. Yeah, half your Catholic. You know what I'm saying? Come on. All right. Now, so here, here we go. Here we go. There I am laying there, and, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And, and so my wife is obviously not really, and I thought, you know what? She just, she, she didn't understand that I'm really in need, okay? I have, to, I have to use something that, to bring her in. And I thought about all the times that she would wake me up during the times that she was pregnant to feel the baby kicking. So if she can wake me up for kicking, why can't I wake her up for kicking, right? So I reached over, shook her arm, and I said, baby, wait, wake up, wake up, something is kicking, okay? Right there, thinking that, oh, she would naturally do it because reciprocal right there, but oh, she looks at me, opens one eye, and says, quit whining. <laughs> Out of the mouth of a Christian woman, quit whining, okay? Now I'm angry. Now I'm laying at my side of the bed just talking to myself. She's already back to sleep. She can't hear me. She's already snoring again. I'm just talking to myself. I'm not whining. I know when I'm whining. I, I'm a man. I know when I'm whining. I'm, I, I'm not going to get better in the morning. I know when I'm... In fact, I hope I die. I hope I die to prove to you and your mother... <laughs> 
There's always room for one more mother-in-law joke, isn't there? Always room for that. Well, finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I got up. I got dressed as noisily as possible, too, by the way, because that's the kind of husband I am. And so got in my car, drove two and a half miles down to Lakeland Regional Medical Center. How many know where that is? You know where that is right there? And, and I went into the emergency room, experienced a miracle. What was that, Mike? I went into the emergency room, and nobody was there but me. That's a miracle, right? Normally, you got to schedule an emergency room visit about three weeks out if you want to get in that night. They took me in, put me in room 1D. I remember the room very well. Into the room walks two doctors. One I know, he was, he was the doctor that delivered three of our four kids. Behind him, a young tall fella from USF learning how to be a doctor. Behind him, a nurse pushing an ultrasound machine. Some of you know what that is. It's a portable x-ray unit that they push on your stomach here because I'm having stomach issues, right? That they look inside you. And so they come in with this machine. They start scanning my body, asking me questions. Mr. Williams, have you had an operation recently? I said, no. Last operation I had was 27 years ago. Stouter Memorial Hospital, Troy, Ohio. It's not even there anymore. Emergency appendectomy. Why do you ask? He moved the screen toward me. They normally don't do this in the emergency room, okay? They normally keep it to themselves. Turned the screen toward me, moved the probe right in here, and he said, Sir, it looks like if you had had an operation, we'd almost be for certain that they'd somehow inadvertently and accidentally left two sponges in you. There are two six-inch sponges, like medical-sized sponges in your intestinal tract. The young doctor leaned in. He said, one of the sponges looks like a dinosaur. Okay, that's what he said. That's, don't get ahead of me, people. Don't get it. You already know more than I knew at the time, okay? Looks like a dinosaur. So anyway, they finish scanning my body. They leave the room, okay? Where'd they go? They went out to that island that they have in the middle of all the emergency rooms where they have all the computers because that's where doctors look up on Google to see what they think you might have, okay? (laughs) And I'm on that new government health care program, so I get a free second opinion from bing. Okay, but anyway, uh, free. No charge for that one. When they're out of the room, I got out my phone, and I called my wife, and I woke her up again. And I said, I'm not just whining. I'm not just going to get better in the morning. I've got two sponges in me, two two six-inch sponges in my intestinal tract. And the young doctor says, one of the sponges looks like a dinosaur. To which my wife, the love of my life, my help meet unto the Lord, as the Bible says, says to me without emotion, we went to the dollar store today. What? What? Have you ever had somebody join your conversation that had no idea what you were talking about? (laughs) I said, baby, I'm at the emergency room, the ER. Er, I am here. (laughs) Dr. Barrett is here, delivered three of our four kids. I have a T-Rex in my intestines. I... (laughs) I could care less where you went shopping. She said, I'm not sleeping, silly. We went to the dollar store, and your middle son, Coleman, you know Coleman, Coleman, with his dollar, bought four little green pills. When you throw them in water, six minutes later, they expand to six-inch foam dinosaurs. (laughs) He lost two of the pills in the kitchen. I said, I will call you back. (laughs) 
I hung up the phone. I reached over. I pushed that button on the side of the bed. Let me tell you, they're quicker in the emergency room than they are the rest of the hospital, okay? Pushed that button. Almost immediately, both doctors and the nurse came in. Yes, Mr. Williams, are you all right? Because at this point, they had no idea what was wrong with me. Yes, Mr. Williams, are you all right? I said, ah. <laughs> And I told them what my wife had told me. And they started laughing at me. Yeah. No, no, not just laughing. No, calling other people in other parts of the hospital to come down to the emergency room. And they would rescan my body over. And, and they would hold the probe right here. They'd go like this. Look, it looks like the dinosaurs are running. That's what they would do. <clears throat> Finally, I said, okay, ha, 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 ha. What do you have to do? Do you have to pump my stomach? Now, I said that because I used to watch Emergency Squad 51. How many remember that show? I love that show. And every week it was the same thing. You got a stomach problem, you, you start an IV with WD-40 or something like that. <laughs> D5, D5W, D5W, transport to Rampart, pump the stomach. Said to the doctor, I said, do you have to pump my stomach? Now, he launched into this medical terminology. I hate it when doctors do that. We're not medical people. Give it to us in plain. Uh, no, I believe according to the AMA guidelines, the pH nature of the sponge material compared to the acidic value of your stomach. I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Okay? Nothing, Pastor. And, and so that, then he just, he just then, like he gave me the understanding, and he walks out of the room, walked out. I'm just kind of looking dumbfounded. Now, the young doctor's there. Young doctor had not been to probably as much medical school, didn't have as much long theory in medical observances. He looked down at me. He said, uh, you didn't understand a thing he said, did you? I said, no, no, I, I didn't. He said, I can see from your charts here that uh, you're a missionary in the Dominican Republic. I said, yes, my wife and I spent a long time there. He said, a Christian missionary? I said, yes, Christian. He said, I'm a Christian too. And uh, I said, what, what brand? He said, Methodist. I said, I'll be the judge of that. That was a joke. That was a joke. I was just, I, I hope you visitors are not Methodists. I was just, are, are you? Are you? Okay, if you are, I'm sorry about that. I, I, I mean, I'm sorry you're Methodist. I'm sorry I said that. It, it was a joke. For those online, I was joking. It was joking, okay? We love the Methodist folks. <clears throat> so he said, yes, I, I'm a Christian too. Uh, he said, I can give it to you in biblical terms or medical terms. I said, well, you know, I said, I'm also a comedian. Maybe you give it to me in comedy terms. He, he said, I'll give it to you in biblical terms. I said, perfect, I can get that. He said, Leviticus 47.2. I said, slips my mind right now. In fact, I'm going to ask the pastor to stand. No, no, I'm uh, 47.2. I said, what is that? He looked at me and he says, the Bible says, and it came to pass. That's what he said. That's what he said. Now, now you say, Mike, what does this have to do with your text, by the way, which is going to be in Luke chapter 10, okay? What does this have to do with the text? And if you'll give me about 15 minutes, I'm going to figure that out, okay? Uh, but you can find Luke chapter 10. But here's what it has to do with today. We need to laugh. The Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. Laughter is good for the soul. Forty-two times in Scripture, laughter is mentioned. The New England Journal of Medicine says if we laugh a hundred times a day, it's equivalent for our heart muscles of jogging ten miles. Wow. Right, right. Not all the muscles, but the heart muscle. 
smart elk. <laughs> Folks, there has probably never been a time that the church of Jesus Christ needed to demonstrate joy more than right now. People are afraid. People are scared. Why? Because sometimes even good folks, sometimes even Christian folks forget that we are eternal. Sometimes we forget we are eternal. Forget we get our eyes on, on self and stuff. But here's, here's what I know. Uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking for anything other than the sound of a trumpet. The trump of God, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And those which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Amen? And that gives us reason for joy. That gives us reason to know that no matter what happens, he's got the whole world in his hands, okay? He's got this under control. We had a wonderful Sunday school lesson with Brother Rakes this morning. And we were talking about, you know, the, the, the Saul's uh, kingdom and rule and David's kingdom and rule. And, and, and all the stuff that they were going through there was to help them learn this wonderful lesson, about their own lives and to think about themselves and to remember that the only thing they needed for a king was Jesus Christ, was God the Father and for us today. So today let's pray and let's open the word this morning, all right? Heavenly Father, I will do my best to distract these folks from the news and, and the newscasts and the fake news and the real news. I will do my best to distract them from diagnoses that they've had, uh, from doctors, from Facebook posts that made them mad and upset them, from things that have bothered them on the road this week. But Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today because if that happens... Individually, if that happens, then today has been a success for your kingdom. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. 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 All right, Luke chapter 10. We're, gonna, we're, we're actually uh, starting in verse 25 is where we're starting, but we're going to pick up the story in verse 30. I'm going to just give you a quick capsule of the first part because you know it. You remember the story from Bible school. You remember the story from sermons that you've heard. How many of you have, have you would say, Mike, I, I was practically grown up in the church. I've been at least 20 years of sermons under my belt. Anybody in the room? Okay, good amount of people. You know this story and you know it well. A lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks them the question and they're dealing with this topic of, of who is my neighbor? They're dealing with this topic of, 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 you know, here we got love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. We all know that verse. And love your neighbor as yourself. And how do we love our neighbor as yourself? Have you ever had a neighbor that was hard to love? Who's had one? Any, okay, three of you. Beautiful. I'm talking to you guys this morning. And the rest of you are going to get one now because you weren't honest about it, okay? They're going to move in this week, okay? You wait. You see. You'll wish you raised your hands, okay? We've all had one of those neighbors. They, they say that fences, have you heard this statement? Fences make good neighbors, right? Yeah, I got an amen over there, right? Amen. But have you ever had a neighbor that you couldn't get a fence tall enough to make them a good neighbor, Right? Yeah, right. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, he looked at his wife. They know exactly who they're talking about right now. Right there. Not only have a fence, but a restraining order. Right, I understand. 
<laughs> Maybe we should upgrade it to reach a border fence. That's right. No, trust me, they'll dig under. Okay, trust me. Those kind of neighbors will dig under. All right. <laughs> Let's not get political, brother. You'll get us both in trouble. <laughs> Plus, I know nothing about politics. My dad, the only thing I know about politics, my dad taught me. I was about 13. He said, son, politics is taken from two words, poly, which means many, and ticks, which are blood-sucking creatures. Okay, that's the only thing, that's the only thing I know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> if, I, if that offended you, get saved. Okay? Uh, I mean, get over it. <laughs> Do both. <laughs> All right. Now, okay, so we've got this, uh, this guy who comes to Jesus. And I can kind of picture them out there. Maybe they're standing on his front porch. And he's saying to Jesus, but Jesus, who really is my neighbor? Okay, I got the guy on my left, okay. Guy on my right, it's okay. Yeah, guy across the street, there's a whole street there. What about the guy catty corner? What about the guy behind me? Jesus, you don't know what it's like to be a neighbor to that guy. He's got three boats and four cars in his backyard. The grass has grown up. In fact, my house is worth $10,000 less because of that guy, and that's not good biblical stewardship. All those excuses that we have. I love the way Jesus answers him. Jesus didn't go, well, you know, in the original Phoenician language, neighbor meant this, but since the Jews, blah, blah. He didn't. He said, let me tell you a story. And I believe this is why the children love Jesus, because they could understand exactly what he said. Let's go to the story of Jesus. The question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, once upon a time, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So right up front he establishes that this neighbor person is not someone who is geographically located to you. In fact, I might suggest and commend you, Pastor, that around your church are pictures of neighbors. I love this. Would that we all see these folks, Ecuador, Sudan, Italy, Spain, Mozambique, India, Israel, Thailand, Papua New Guinea, Tibet. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> Somebody said Mulberry. No. Uh, <laughs> Gansu, am I saying it right? Am I saying it right with all respect? Okay, Gansu, okay. But Jesus took away the fact that a neighbor is geographic location close to you. All right? Jesus said, it's, it's travelers. It's someone from, from a strange. And it said, this man, this neighbor, fell among thieves. Anybody in this room ever been robbed? If you've ever been robbed or stole from, hold up your hand. Hold up your hand. Okay. Doesn't it hurt? Doesn't it bother you? It's a prize. You, don't, you, you can't prepare for a thief because the thief comes in the night. Thief comes in the day when you're not there. Thief comes when you are not prepared for it. In fact, Jesus gave the great illustration in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief comes, the robber comes to steal and to kill and to destroy that which is good. Now help me out, but what he said, the last part was, Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus says, this neighbor fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing. I've never been robbed like that before. <laughs> How about you? 
but I live, in fact, tomorrow morning I'll be in the Dominican Republic. I know there are places up there at night. There are certain mountains that we don't go to at night because we know if we get robbed, they will take everything. And I mean everything. Why did they do that, Mike? Because it's hard to ask for help when you've lost everything. People don't open the door when you're standing outside and they go, you lost everything. It, you know, I know good Christians do, but <laughs> I, I, I was at a hotel in Indiana. I won't mention the name of it. They're a wonderful hotel. They leave the light on for you. <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning, Bill, I hear in the hall, Bill, guy running down the hall, knocking on doors, Bill. I, I run from the bed to the door. <laughs> it's a small room. <laughs> I look out the people, there's a naked guy in the hall. Now, now, don't you get offended that I said naked guy. I'm quoting from the Bible here, okay? They just said it, so lighten up. True story, naked guy in the hall. I found out later, Pastor, when the police got there, I found out the whole story. Here's what the story is. He was drunk, he was in his room. Three o'clock in the morning, he figured to himself, hey, I can run down to the ice machine and get ice and get back without having to take the time to put clothing on, all right? That was his thoughts. He's drunk, okay? You understand. Drunk people do stupid stuff. Sober people do stupid stuff sometimes, okay? This guy was drunk, okay? So in, in his mind, he thought he could run down there, but he forgot that those hotels have kind of like those spring-loaded uh, hinges. You know what I'm saying? And so he ran up without his key, okay? Not a lot of places to keep a key when, when you don't have clothes on, all right? One, but anyway, uh, there, uh, he runs down, and then his door closes. He gets back, and he can't get into his room. He's naked, okay? He knows in his drunk condition, immediately kind of becomes sober, okay? <laughs> and he remembers that a friend of his is on that same floor someplace named Bill, but he doesn't remember what room, and he's running, knocking on every door, trying to get help from somebody he knows, and even Bill ain't opening the door for him, okay? <laughs> well, so what do I do? I see this out there. I, I go for the phone. <laughs> I pick up the phone. I call the front desk. I'm not making this up, Pastor. This is, this is a testimony. You check it out when we get to heaven, okay? <laughs> I call the front desk to which I say, ma'am, please send security up here. There is a naked guy running down the hall knocking on the doors. To which she says to me, can you describe him to me? No! <laughs> Just arrest all naked people. Are you with me? Right? <laughs> and Jesus gets very real with the story. He said, they didn't just rob him. They took it all. I can't help but think of those guys that come into Lighthouse. And I, Pastor, I try to talk with them. And they won't make eye contact with me. I'm 60. I'm an old guy. They still they can't make eye contact with me. Why? Because they're ashamed. They're ashamed at the life that they'd been given, but yet somehow squandered. I think of that old song, Wasted Years, Wasted Years. Oh, how foolish that I wandered in darkness. Remember that. They're ashamed. Jesus said, they beat him. 
wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, Jesus says, and there was a priest that was coming by, and, and when the priest saw him, everybody say, saw him. So it wasn't like he missed it, he didn't see it, he saw the man, and what does it say he did? He went what? Help me, tell me, shout it out to me. He went around the other way. Now let me say, horrible priests. Oh, those priests. Stop it. You know, it's amazing to me how sometimes on Sunday afternoon, along with the dinner, we can have roast pastor instead of roast self. I want to give you maybe another possible alternative here. The maybe, just maybe. I'm not saying this, but I'm saying maybe. Maybe the priest went around for a reason, Mr. Frack. The priest's responsibility at that time with his religion, Old Testament Judaism, his religion, he was responsible to go before God every week and represent the people being clean and pure. He wasn't allowed to touch unclean things. He had certain things that he had, certain ways that he had to wash and certain things that he had to do. And and last thing that he would want to do is touch a bloody naked body crumpled in a street. So before we throw our priest under the bus, let's be careful not to cast the first stone. Jesus says there was another one who came by. There was a Levite who came by. I was at a church last week. I said, how many know what the Levites were? One of the teenagers shout out, they invented Levi's. No, no. (laughs) The Levites were the singers in the church. They were the ones that got up there on Sunday and sang, shout to the Lord of the earth. Let us sing. But the Levite came by, and what does it say? Where did he go? Help me out. What did he do? Passed by on the other side. He saw him. He passed by on the other side. Oh, those singers. All they want to do is get up and sing. Divas for the Lord. It wasn't, Levites weren't just the singers. Levites were the deacons, the elders. They were the keeper of the keys. They were the ones that helped the priests perform their priestly duties. But before we throw the Levite under the bus, let me ask a question. Their theology at that time said that if you were broken, you were broken because either you sinned or your parents sinned or your grandparents sinned. Do you remember this? And so if God is punishing you, if God is doing this in your life, punishing you, then why would I want to interfere with God? Are you with me? Do you see what could have been his reasoning? I'm not saying it was. I'm saying it could have been his reasoning. But he had a reason, a legitimate reason why he couldn't get involved. His religion didn't allow him to get involved. There was no greater reason for someone in that day amongst the Jews to not get involved in their religion. Let God do what he's doing. I kind of hurt for the Levite who had to get up that next Sabbath and lead the folks in singing Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. But yet know that there were some that somehow in his theology were outside of the grace. Breaks my heart.
Jesus gives us one more, though, doesn't he? Stay with us. Look there. Verse 33, I believe. But there was a certain Samaritan. Now, what we know about the Samaritans, we know a little bit about the Samaritans from uh, biblical history. We also know about the Samaritan from the Samaritan woman, right? So number one, we know that the Samaritan was, and I'm using their terminology, not mine. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I know this is probably a politically incorrect term, but it's what they used at the time. A Samaritan was a half-breed. Remember, they were very careful, very secure back then. You, you didn't intermix religious face. No, you, you, you didn't even intermingle uh, rabbinical face if you had two different rabbis. No, you, 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 you stayed right in there. But especially you didn't marry outside of the race. Let me, let me throw this. What if the Samaritan was both Jew and Palestinian? What would that be today? Imagine what it would have been 2,000 years ago. What did the Samaritans believe? Well, we know from the woman at the well that they believed in God. Now, to give you a quick understanding of the Samaritans, let me tell you this. They believed in the first five books of the Bible. They, like the Jews, many of them had them memorized. They believed in the Ten Commandments. They believed that those Ten Commandments were the scriptures that were written by God himself, as the scripture declares, written by God himself, that God put down, this is how to live, this is the divine directives for good living and moral living and good life. But they believed, and this is going to sound an awful lot like us today, think about this, they believed that the Jews had added to the law of God. They believed that they had added 613's admonitions and different amendments to the law of God. What do you mean, Mike? Well, let's take the Sabbath, for instance. Remember the commandment about the Sabbath? Remember the Sabbath. Keep it sacred. Keep it holy. It was the first law put down by God that made sure that laborers, it was the first labor union law. It was the first law that protected you from having to work seven days a week with no time off. God gave that to you, nobody else. Jesus even backed it up. He said, remember, the Sabbath was not created for God. The Sabbath was created for man to have a day of rest. But from Exodus chapter 20 to the time of Exodus 31, the Jews had come along and said, and if you do anything we think is labor, you should be put to death. Samaritans, let me roll along. Jesus says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where the broken man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. What is compassion? Compassion is caring with action. Okay? Compassion is not just caring. Compassion is caring with action. And it's, Jesus says, and he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. That was the, the medicine and the painkiller of the day and set him on his own beast. He puts the guy on his own beast. I don't know if I'd have done that. I don't pick up naked people in my car. I have Corinthian leather. 
I want to keep it nice. Maybe if I had a towel. <laughs> I would have called an Uber donkey back then, right there. <laughs> could, I, could I get an Uber donkey down here? Right. Yeah, down. somebody with vinyl. And brought him to an inn. What is an inn? An inn is a hospital. An inn is a place that can help. An inn is something that can provide nurture to what the person needs. Oh, Mike, you're with Lighthouse. Hey, thanks for mentioning that. Lighthouse Ministries is an inn right here in West Central Florida to take in the broken, the hurting, the needy, the addicted, those that have been beaten by the world. You know what? We may not be able to identify with everybody in this story. We may not be able to identify with the priest. We might not be able to identify with the Levite. We might not be able to even identify with the Good Samaritan at this point. But what everybody in this room can identify with is we have all at one point in our life been broken over something. We have all been hurting. Now, I want to point this out. It's interesting that the Good Samaritan didn't just come by and toss money to him. Okay, you didn't just say, oh, here's some money. And I want to bring that up because if you come down with me today to Lighthouse Ministries, we can have lunch down there, sit down with the guys, and you can talk to the guys, and the guys will tell you, one of the, most often one of the worst things you can do is give away money to somebody on the street. See, sometimes we as Christians, good Christians, we, we, we have that godly values in us that we understand that, and we see people and we're hurting for them, and we go, oh, here, here's the quick fix. But our guys will tell you, most of the time, now, now seriously, listen to me. If God speaks to you and tells you to give money, you give every dollar that God told you to give. But don't give it because of false guilt. Because our guys will tell you most of the time when you give away money, you're just pushing addictions farther down the line. They're just waiting for enough money. Some, I've heard story after story. You have to, oh, I, I, can I buy you some food? No, I don't want any food, just some money. Oh, hey, can I give you a job? No, no, I just need money. Why? Because we have to be careful that our kindness, what we think is compassion, doesn't become hurting in action. There's a wonderful book. It's called When Helping Hurts. We don't want to do that, okay? Lighthouse. Lighthouse is appointed, anointed, inspired by the Spirit of God to meet the physical, emotional, spiritual, and educational needs of the poor and at-risk population. The homeless, the street people, those families that you know that life hands them a lemon. The paper you have that we gave to you coming in today tells you a story of a, a couple by the name of Ken and Janet who had a great family, a wonderful family. Everything was going great for them until their daughter got cancer. And that cancer was quick and took their daughter in, in, in six months, I believe. And, and the situation was, but it also racked up doctor bill after doctor bill and they ended up losing their home. They lost it all. And there they are, and the husband decided to self-medicate. And we can say, oh, well, there he goes, self-medicating. Bet it was alcohol. Yeah, bet it was alcohol. What do you think it was with Mike? It was probably a pizza. We all self-medicate, but some people medicate with stuff that's sometimes a little more toxic. He chose to medicate with alcohol to try to forget the loss of his daughter. Let's be careful not to be too critical. Let's have some grace 
Well, unfortunately, the alcohol didn't work, made him angry and violent. He began to hit the family. The police were called. Now he's got a record for abuse. And he's so, Pastor, he's so embarrassed. He's so naked before the world. And without Jesus, he put a gun in his mouth and he pulled the trigger in the family car. No insurance. Car is ruined. And that wife is left with one child, their other daughter, who's still there. What does the lighthouse do? <laughs> We're the inn. We're set up to take that child, that mom. We're set up to get them education. We're set up with licensed clinical and Christian counselors to come alongside that mom and that child and help them get through that. That's what Lighthouse does. Yes, yes, yes. Didn't you give out 254,000 meals last year to poor people? Yes, we did that. Don't you have programs that go into uh, the poorer areas of, of the Lakeland and Winter Haven and, and Ybor City to minister to those poor kids out there? Yes, we do. But bottom line, we take people, neighbors who are broken, and we help them find Jesus. We help them find life. We help them find education. We help them back on their feet. I, let me let you meet four of the people that your church, because you support Lighthouse, let me let you meet four of the people who you have helped. Brother, go ahead and run that. Uh, run that I'm Caroline and I have a lighthouse story. My name is Deirdre and I have a lighthouse story. My name is John and I have a lighthouse story. My name is Walter. I was running the roads from New Jersey to Florida. My life was a wreck. I was using alcohol, crack cocaine, and methamphetamines. I wanted to change but I couldn't on my own. One day an Uber driver drove me up in front of the Lighthouse Men's Ministry Center and told me this is where I needed to be. Praise the Lord. Today I'm clean, sober, and ready to serve God in the ministry. Revelations 12:11 says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. Lighthouse provided a new lease on life for men like me through Jesus the Christ. That is my Lighthouse story. Thank you. My name is Jessica and I have a Lighthouse story. Hello, my name is Jim and I have a lighthouse story. Hey, I'm Caitlin and I'm from Miami, Florida. I was one of 20,000 crack babies born every year. I experienced many of the negative results of that in my early childhood. I started skipping school in sixth grade and I got expelled for drinking in both ninth and 10th grade. My problems continued to get worse. I became that girl who was always drinking and the high school boys took advantage of that. My lifestyle had destroyed my self-esteem and I even tried to commit suicide. Two strangers helped me find Lighthouse Ministries. Since coming to Lighthouse, I found a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I have been baptized and I am finding God's peace and purpose for my life. That is my Lighthouse story. My name is Leander and I have a Lighthouse story. My name is Chris and I have a Lighthouse story. 
Hello, I'm Beth and I have a lighthouse story. We had moved from New Jersey to Florida trying to find stable employment after my husband had lost his job. Life was a struggle. Our car was repossessed and money was running out. We had to use t-shirts for diapers for our twin daughters. The struggle became too much for my husband and he left us. Our landlord was kind, but after a few weeks we could not stay there anymore. There I was at 44 years of age with twin three-year-old girls and now we were homeless. Miraculously, I found out about Lighthouse Ministries. My hopes arose as a friendly voice answered the phone and assured me that God had a plan for my life. Lighthouse wanted to do more than provide an overnight stay. They wanted to help prepare me for the task of independent living. Our first night we were afraid, but we were surrounded by people who loved us. At Lighthouse, my children were fed, educated, and discipled in Christian faith. At Lighthouse, I was given education I needed to thrive as an individual. I now have full-time employment. My daughters are doing better than ever. Thank you for providing Lighthouse for women like myself. My name is John, and I have a Lighthouse story. My name is Tashika, and I have a Lighthouse story. Hello, my name is Joel. My story is different. I grew up in a great Christian home. I loved Jesus, served at my church, and was even part of the worship team. After high school, I went to a Christian college, but there I met a whole new group of people. I started drinking. We joked about how it would give us good testimonies, <laughs> but I became an alcoholic, and eventually I dropped out of the Christian college. For the next five years, I was a hard-working alcoholic making your special coffee drinks at Starbucks. Then an auto accident changed my life, and I turned to hard drugs to deal with my pain. At 28 years of age, this church kid went looking for recovery programs and found I couldn't afford any of them. Then I was offered a place at Lighthouse, and it was free of charge. Praise the Lord, my life is back on track, and I'm clean and sober and have no desire to return to the pig pen again. Lighthouse provides restoration for the church kids just like me, and it'll be here for your kids or grandchildren if they ever need to be rescued. That's my Lighthouse story. Thank you. My name is Veronica, and I have a Lighthouse story. My name is Lynn, but I do have a Lighthouse story. And I tell you right now, Lighthouse Ministries has happened because of folks like you around Lakeland have made it happen. I've talked to a number of the folks already today who've come up and said, we support Lighthouse every month. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you, Pastor, for a church that supports Lighthouse because we're not, we're here to be an extension of the church. We're not the church, but we're your in. So when you've got that situation, we want to be there to help you. I'm gonna, we're going to have an invitation right now. I'm going to invite you to do something. On the way in, you will receive one of these. There's a little piece right here. It's a tear-off section. I'm going to ask today as an invitation for prayer partners. At Lighthouse, we believe that we are where we are today because God's people have faithfully, faithfully prayed for Lighthouse. And I would love today to raise a group of prayer warriors from New Life who would be willing to one day a week, Monday at 10 minutes after 9, 
You don't have to read it then, but at 10 minutes after 9, you'll receive a text from Lighthouse Ministries. When you open it, you can read it or you can click on and watch a video that's usually about 35 to 45 seconds long. It'll be me, it'll be Steve, it'll be Amber, one of the folks that will say, here is a special situation at Lighthouse that needs prayer. It may be a guy that we're trying to reach. It may, be a, it may be someone who was in the program for a month and they got scared and they ran off and we need to find them. It may be a young lady and her children. It may be someone who needs to come to faith. But we're going to ask you to just remember that during the week and for you to say a prayer, for you to add your petition to the petitions with others. If you would be willing to be that prayer partner, all, excuse me, I would need would be your name, your cell phone number, because it'll come to you as a text, and your email will back up to your email if for some reason it doesn't open on your phone. And just check that first box that says, yes, I can pray. I will be part of the Lighthouse prayer team and receive um, a 59-second Weekly prayer reminder. I put 59 seconds there because that's all our system will allow it to go up to. That's the maximum you would have to hear my voice in a week. <laughs> but if you would be willing to pray. Now for some of you, you might want to check that second box and you might say, you know, I have never actually seen the inside of Lighthouse. I've passed it by. I go down to the thrift store and thank you for going down to the thrift store. How many of you have been to the Lighthouse thrift store on Havendale or Edgewood or over in Brandon or Plant City? Thank you. Thank you for remembering Lighthouse when you're cleaning out your garage because your, your gifts there go to rescue and recovery. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but if you'd like to see inside the program, I'd like to invite you to be about 35 minutes. I'll take you on a tour myself and then hopefully uh, we'll get work everything out. It could be at the right time. You can come into the lunchroom with us and sit down with myself, maybe Steve Turbyville, some of our other folks, and get to meet some of the people that your ministry through the church is helping their lives become restored. So I'd love for you to do that. That's my only request today off this card. If you tear it off, if you just put that in, there's a little bucket right on the little display from Lighthouse when you walk out the doors, turn right. There's a little blue container right there. Drop it in there, and in about two weeks, we'll get you on the system, and, and you'll start getting that from me. At any time, you can just hit the unsubscribe button, and you never have to get it again. But if you would be willing to be a prayer partner, that's invitation number one to you today. Invitation number two. Folks, Right now, the world is getting ready to come to Lakeland, Florida. Oh, Mike, you mean all the transients that are coming in and filling up? No. Snowbirds, and I say that respectfully, we don't have, that's probably a negative term. Let's not call them snowbirds. People who leave their left blinker on are coming down. See, it was so much better, isn't it, right there? When you think of it that way, it's just so less condescending to the birds, okay? <laughs> They're going to be coming down here in groves, and you know it. And here's what I know. Though they're going to have nice-looking cars, and they're going to have nice-looking houses and fifth wheels that they're coming with, here's what I know. Inside are a lot of broken people. Inside are people who are, who are angry because they, they might have survived life, but life has beat them up. A lot of people who started off in faith, but have lost faith somehow. 
And we have the opportunity, this church, to be that kind of in. That spiritual in. Okay? Lighthouse does that too, but we're in a different, different, different lane. But you're going to have people that are next to you. You're going to see them in the line at the grocery store. Step off of the normal lane. Invite them to the inn. Offer to pick them up. Pray with them. This next week, I'm going to be out each night praying on the streets with pimps and prostitutes. You know what I've found? those people want to be prayed for because they don't want the life that they have. And there's going to be a lot of people around you who are going to be angry and bitter toward the inn. And you say, hey, I want to bring you to a different kind of inn. I want you to see the difference. What's the difference? Jesus! Compassion! A church full of Samaritans who are willing to love you until you can lift your head. Brother Rakes, I love that, that song. What was that song you sang in the first service? Lift up my... Uh, oh, yeah, isn't that a great one? He brought me out, come on, of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. He puts a song in my heart today. That's the Baptist in me. See the arm go up like that? Day, a song of praise. Hallelujah. Let's be that. Hallelujah.